All right. This is a good topic, from slavery to freedom. Um, I'm going to give a little bit of background about Jerusalem. I was like, when I saw this topic, I was like, oh, my goodness. Jerusalem, this is big. It's in the news at the moment. We're talking about ancient Jerusalem. We're talking about the journey of the Israelites from slavery to freedom. We're talking about our journey from slavery to freedom. We're talking about what it means for the city of London right here and right now. I was like, whoo, okay, 25 minutes, let's go. But I have faith that the Spirit's just going to do and say what He wants to do now. Um, So we're just going to whiz through a bit, whiz, God's heart for Jerusalem Let's have a look at this amazing city. So when we're talking about from slavery to freedom, it refers to this famous exodus. It is basically the the sort of pinnacle of the story of God rescuing his people out of slavery in Egypt into the promised land. So Jerusalem was established by King David and it is called sort of the holy city. And um, the people were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. Who's seen the movie Prince of Egypt? (laughs) I shouldn't direct you towards that. I should direct you towards Exodus and Numbers. (laughs) So I've got Pete here to just be like, oh, Kath, (laughs) this is why we go to theological training. Um, Do look at the book of Exodus in the Bible. Um, You'll hear the story or you'll read the story of Moses, the way that God has powerfully um, gone in to rescue his people from slavery and to bring them into his promised land. And and in this story, it's a crazy story. Um, God sends all these plagues. He says, he sends Moses to say to Pharaoh, let my people go. He sends them loads of plagues. The final plague was a plague of death. But he told the people of God, you are to sacrifice a lamb, put the blood on your doorposts. And and so the angel of death is not going to touch you. And this is, and then the next day, Pharaoh finally says, yes, I will let you go. So that was the first Passover meal. And then they are led powerfully through the Red Sea. A sea parts and they, they are led out into freedom. And this is just the beginning of a journey into freedom. Um, as the people need to learn to walk into their freedom following this Yahweh, Yahweh, their God. And despite them turning away from Him again and again, God does not forget His promises over Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is also referred to as Zion, which kind of means the hill of Jerusalem. So Jerusalem's built on a hill, so sometimes it's called Mount Zion, but it also means the heavenly city or the kingdom of God. And we see in the prophet Isaiah, let's have a look at some of the promises, what's in God's heart over this city. He said, Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. Your sons come from afar and your daughters are carried on the hip. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb with joy. It's so poetic, isn't it? The wealth of the seas will be brought to you. To you, the riches of the nations will come. And then jumping to verse 17, there are so many of these promises. I will make peace your governor and well-being your ruler. 
No longer will violence be heard in your land, nor ruin or destruction within your borders, but you will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. This is God's heart and his vision for Jerusalem. It is meant to be the city of shalom. And shalom means this sense of wholeness, of peace, of ultimate well-being, fullness of life. And it was not only that, it was meant to be a blessing to other nations. The people of God were meant to be established. They were set apart for God to display who he is and his heart towards his own people, but to all people. But while this is God's heart and vision for the city, Jerusalem was and is consistently a place full of violence and conflict idolatry, and instead of being a place of shalom, it was a place that was oppressed and responsible for oppression of other nations and also to its own people. In the lead up to his death and resurrection, Jesus himself looks over the city of Jerusalem, this city that was meant to be a symbol of shalom and freedom, and he is full of sorrow. And he says this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Now let's turn to the city of London. This is quite a gear shift, isn't it? From, from Jesus crying out over Jerusalem, and now let's look at London. That might seem quite a gear shift, but for God and in heaven, it's not. Because do you know that God equally has a heavenly vision for this city that we're sitting in right now? In fact, his heart burns for this place. He longs to draw people here close to his heart. I just loved hearing about the prison and and the prison work. And I just want to speak out that God longs to draw those men down the road in Pentonville Prison close to his heart. He longs to comfort, to protect, to provide, to bring flourishing and abundance abundance, for people to be released into all they were meant to be, for this to be known as a city of flourishing that reflects the glory of God. This is what he came to do. And guys, this is what he calls us sitting in this room to do. But first, it's important to understand what do we mean by freedom? It is a word that is thrown around a lot. Um, my housemate was telling me that they're naming, naming some overground lines, some different names in London. One's called the Suffragette Line. I didn't even know the overground had names. Did everyone else know this? No. Okay. But they've got names. I didn't know. But one of them's called the Liberty Line. And it's because it's in recognition that London is known as this city of freedom. And we fight for freedom here. But what do we mean by that? What does London mean by that? Because a modern day Western London definition of freedom is actually really different from a biblical view of freedom. It might sound something like this. Freedom is doing whatever I want without limit or constraint and without submission to anyone. 
And off the back of that, living out my personal truth sets me free. This is essentially saying I don't need a saviour. Sin is not a problem. In fact, it doesn't even exist. I choose my own freedom. And if I need a saviour, I'm my own saviour. Do we recognise that? Is it just me? Okay, let's have a look instead at biblical freedom. Now, usually we try to quote some great theologian. You can quote this to Kath Carter. But I have been listening to Tim Keller and others, and I do believe this is biblically correct, but do write in to Pete if it's not. So, freedom, I, I feel, I believe, is to live in intimacy, trust and submission to God and to live within his life-giving constraints. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Life-giving constraints. Let that sink in. And off the back of that, I want to say that truth is found in Jesus alone and actually obedience to his will and his ways set us free. As followers of Jesus, we believe that the way to freedom is is dependence, not independence, but dependence on the living God. And we see all around us that this modern day Western freedom narrative is not actually working. It is not living up to all that it says it's going to do. I don't see it bringing the peace and the life that it promises to people, but it's actually hurting people. It is actually bringing disillusionment and despair because we are all made for relationship with our Creator and it is only in his life-giving boundaries and in his love that we are truly free, free to be who we really are and to do what we were created to do. Thank you. And we are called as God's people to partner with him in bringing this biblical definition of freedom to a city like London. Does anyone else feel daunted by that? A little bit. Let's be honest. I know this can feel quite big and abstract. I've jumped from Jerusalem, slavery to freedom, the exodus, and now I'm saying, and this is the true meaning of freedom, and now let's bring it to London. I know that when I first started living in London nine years ago now, I can't believe it, I'm from Australia, if you want to know, not New Zealand, (laughs) nothing wrong with New Zealand. (laughs) They won't say the same about us, but we'll say that about Um, So nine years ago, Um, When I started living here, I was swept up in the buzz of this place. Doesn't it have a buzz? It's got a vibe. And you're like, yeah, everything is going on here. Everything's going on. I am at the centre of the world. And so, you know, and it's all fantastic until you start to get, whoo, this place is quite overwhelming. And so... I I started to learn to escape into my music. Does anyone else do this? Pop your ear pods in as you walk along the street. But not only that, I started to just kind of try to ignore others around me so that I could kind of become immune from the discomfort of this city. And at the end of every day, battling crowds on the tube where I was treated more like an obstacle than a human being. Can I get an amen? (laughs) I would try to drown it out again with worship music in my ears. And the thinking behind that was, if I can just maintain my freedom in here, I can survive living out there. But do you know, guys, God 
doesn't just want us to be free from the world. He wants us to be free for the world. Jesus does not look away. And this is not me having a go at putting your earpods in. Sometimes you just need a bit of sensory deprivation. It's okay. But Jesus does not look away. He doesn't walk around London with his earpods escaping. But he engages with this city. And he is desperate that the people of this city experience his love and come to know his true freedom at every level. And I want to suggest to you, living in London at this time for however long you're here, whether it's a few months, whether it's years, that you're not here by accident, but you have a call on your life at this time. And your mission, if you choose to accept it, is to become a freedom fighter here. Jesus, as I said before, is the ultimate freedom fighter and he is the one who has already fought and won. But now in his name and in his power, we are called to become those who light fires of freedom and bring his redemption wherever we go, wherever we are, because of the Spirit of God in us and his vision for renewal, that we would see his glory, just like his vision over Zion, we would see his glory in this beautiful city of London around us. That's what's in God's heart. But I want to tell you, to carry out this mission, we personally need to be walking out our freedom. I just had a sense earlier, and when we were praying earlier, there was just a sense of those carrying just a heaviness, and that can be for a variety of reasons, but even feeling like you've got a wall built around you. And the Lord is so gentle. He never forces us, but I believe that he's inviting you to take a step into freedom this morning with him. He's going to come and meet you exactly where you are. He wants us to be on fire with his truth so that we can start those fires that we're talking about. Because, guys, while we are set free once and for all in Jesus, and I hope that most of us in the room have kind of decided to follow Jesus, you might just be exploring, and that's absolutely fine too. Come and chat to us. We'd love to tell you more about this Jesus. But for those of us that follow him, we can still all have a tendency to return to slavery mindsets and behaviour. So we've been set free once and for all, but we can still act like slaves. Let me unpack that a bit. Let me go back to the beginning. Let's look at the Israelites, the Jewish people on their exodus out of slavery. They were led out of Egypt by the power of God. They were physically set free, but they still thought and acted like slaves. Their hearts and their minds were not yet free. And they actually treated God as a slave master who they did not know or trust. And even though they had seen God's huge power, they'd seen a sea be parted, they'd seen all those plagues come, they saw miraculous food be provided to them every single day on the ground. They saw a cloud by day and a fire by night guiding them. They got some guidelines for living etched by God's hand himself on some stone tablets. They saw it all and yet they still thought and acted like slaves and not like children. And they even several times said, we want to go back to Egypt. That's familiar to us. 
the slavery, at least we know what to expect there. And for many generations, God pursues Israel with his love and his faithfulness again and again. He does not give up on his fight for their freedom. And just as now, God is not giving up on his fight for your freedom. There is more than this. There is more than this. I don't care how well you're doing. There is more freedom for you. There is more freedom for you right now. But they and us must learn to walk in his ways so that they can take hold of that freedom. Jonathan and Melissa Helser, they're a brilliant worship couple, um, use the term cageless birds. I don't know if anyone's heard this. Um, But basically, it's an illustration of what happens when we receive Jesus. It's like um, we are absolutely set free once and for all. The cage is taken away. But we're like a bird now that is just sitting there going, we've got to actually learn how to fly. Just because the cage is not there anymore, it doesn't mean that we are necessarily appropriating the freedom that Jesus has won for us. We need to turn, we need to learn to take steps into that freedom. Let's have a look at John 8. This is Jesus talking about freedom. And it's quite a famous passage, but there's probably one line that gets used a lot. We're looking at John 8, 31 through to 36. Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Later, he says, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever or a daughter. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. There is a connection here, guys. Did you catch it? Between obedience, truth and freedom. So often I know that, you know, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Have you guys heard that before? It gets thrown around a lot. I don't often read the bit before. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If we hold to his teaching, that means hold means if we live in it, if we act on it, then we will know the truth, who is Jesus, and the truth will set us free. Guys, it's possible to say we believe in Jesus and agree with his teaching and what he's on about, but not actually back this up without our behaviour and not walk into freedom. Sin is when we don't believe God but instead believe a lie and act upon that lie. If you go back to Genesis, you see that in action. It's also when we don't do what God has asked of us. It's ultimately when we choose to go our own way. And when we allow a sin narrative to live in any part of our hearts and lives, we become a slave to that story. That's what Jesus is saying here. We no longer live like children who are free in Jesus, but like slaves. In Paul's letter to the Galatians, he says it like this. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir 
Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? And the context here is that the Galatians were returning to a narrative of striving and religious behaviour in order to be made right with God. Even though they had received a gospel of grace, they were believing a different story, which was that grace wasn't enough and they needed to do things to earn their place with God. They were acting like slaves again. And it's important for us to ask today, what are the areas of our hearts and our lives where we know the cage is gone, but we haven't started flying? Where are we still acting like slaves? In 2 Peter chapter 2, he says, people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. Whatever is directing our decision-making, directing our vision, directing our steps day by day. We need to ask God, what is mastering me? Jesus wants to bring a floodlight to these areas. And this is not to condemn us, but this is for our good. It's for our flourishing. He longs to set us free. It's for fullness of life. We have no idea what we're capable of in Him. We have no idea um, just how glorious we are in how He's made us. And I just want to look at a little list of what a slave mindset might look like, just to kind of bring it to the ground a little bit. This is just a list I've come come up with. It's not exhaustive, so you can go home and make up more if you like, which is quite a weird homework to do. So these are the ones I came up with. Firstly, slaves live in fear. So they have a fear of punishment, fear of death, fear of the future, fear of losing what they have. The list goes on. Slaves are driven by fear. Slaves live in despair. They have little hope. They have a small vision. Their heads are down. They have a low expectation in life. They don't want to hope because they're scared of being disappointed because that's been the the ground that they've lived on. They live in despair. Slaves have a scarcity mindset. They don't believe that there is enough for them or that there will ever be an abundance. And this can result in being closed-fisted, not generous, only looking after number one. Slaves believe they must strive and work and perform to be loved. That's how they find their place. They must earn it. Slaves do not trust or believe that they will receive good things as a gift. So they must take matters into their own hands, take control to get what they want. Is any of this familiar? This is encouraging, isn't it? I'm just going to let that sink in. This is the floodlight. There is more. We could go on. But why don't we just pause for a moment and just pray. God really cares about this stuff. Jesus, Jesus, thank you for pointing out where we're acting like slaves. 
where we're thinking like slaves and not children, would you now just highlight in each of our hearts and minds where that is happening and what that is looking like? Thank you, Lord. We are going to have opportunity for prayer at the end, but it's good to just listen to the Spirit. I just want to speak off the back of those slave mindsets, just a few truths. It's good to just drop in some truth bombs after lists like that. Um, As children of God, we know we are secure, and none of these mindsets are based in truth. Not anymore. No, no, no. We've gone we are, we are in a different country. We've gone from slavery. We are free in our identity. We are children. The Bible says our names are written in heaven. God will never, ever leave us or forsake us. We are promised that his perfect love casts out fear, that Jesus is our living hope. We know that he loved us so much that he gave his life for us. He proclaims us worthy, delighted in, beloved child of God. We are heirs to all that is given to Jesus. I'm just going to say that again. We inherit all that was given to Jesus, all the abundance and life with nothing held back from us, nothing held back. We don't have to worry about our lives because our Father promises to provide for our needs. God is good. We can trust Him. We can submit to His ways, knowing He will never let us down. Even when we don't understand, even when we hurt, this isn't the end of the story. This, there's this greater truth. And I just want to say where we are feeling oppressed or enslaved is usually not an external problem. I'm just going to say that again. Where we are feeling oppressed or enslaved is usually not an external problem. I want to be really careful with this because I'm not minimising the really hard circumstances that are represented in this room, the bad things, the unjust things that have happened, or the very real systems of injustice. That is living in a fallen world where there is another, there's, there's the enemy, there's Satan, okay? So let's just park that. But ultimately, our freedom is an internal issue. Let me just explain that a bit more. Again, I've mentioned I've lived in London for nine years now. Um, and over those years when we, you know what it's like, the pressure of the high rent, the feelings of isolation and loneliness, the stressful pace of life has been overwhelming. I'm going to be honest, I sometimes picture my ideal place where I'm going to press my escape button. Does anyone else have your escape button? Um, And then you get taken out of this crazy city and the narrative goes something like this. If I lived there, I wouldn't be feeling like this. If I lived there, every life will feel better. If I lived there, I wouldn't feel alone. I actually have heard it quite a lot of times and I want to tread really carefully on this. I know it's a sensitive issue, but I hear people say, if I move out of London, my mental health will be better. Everything will be better. I will feel free. Um, And I hate to break it to you, but that has not been the case. (laughs) 
I'm not saying that there can't be, there might be a temporary relief. I'm not saying that it's wrong to change your circumstances if that's how you feel led. But the slavery mindset will still be present. So you might have initial relief, but getting out of the city is not going to set you free in here. Ooh, I feel like it's treading on some things here. Just let that land. It's not wrong to move out of this city or to change your circumstances, but that's not what is ultimately going to free you. I just want to quickly go through two slavery narratives just to bring it to the ground. I'm going to be a bit vulnerable here, tell you about my wrestle or my faltering steps into the land of freedom. Um, Two slavery, or let's just say sin, narratives that Jesus has brought into the light in recent years is a narrative that I must do things for God in order to be worthy and particularly to meet everyone's needs. And to take steps into freedom, I've actually needed to repent of partnering with that lie. And I've said, I'm sorry, God for listening, to meditating, to agreeing, letting that lie live in me. And then I've chosen to believe and I keep choosing to believe God's narrative over me that I'm loved for who I am as his beloved child that I made worthy only because of Jesus and there is nothing I could do to make him love me more or love me less. I can do a crap sermon here and get terrible feedback, and I am extravagantly loved and adored, and that's never going to change. And I'm just saying that over others that might have that same slavery mindset. Another narrative, a sin narrative, I just want to call sin, sin. Let's not be scared of the word. Another sin narrative that I have partnered with is one of self-hatred over my body, and this is one that's been passed down um, through the women in my family, I'm just again treading carefully. Um, Over the course of my life, there have been narratives of shame in my ears whenever I look in the mirror. I can remember being, ooh, I can remember being seven years old and looking in the mirror and hating what I saw. That is demonic. I'm just saying that out. And I think there are others of us that have these narratives that have been when we were little, little kids. And And recently I had prayer. I've had loads of prayer over this and deliverance, mind you. Um, And in this prayer recently, I heard Jesus just say to me, it is done, Kath. I saw a picture of him on the cross. He said, you know, this self-hatred door, it is closed and it is done. And I believe it. I absolutely believe it. But do you know what? I still have to choose to walk in that freedom. The enemy is going to keep trying to knock on that door because it's worked in the past. But I now need to learn to take every thought captive. I'm speaking out loud God's truth over me as I look in the mirror. I'm speaking the opposite of the shame narrative. I'm speaking that I'm worthy and delighted in and beautiful and all the things he says over me. I'm learning not just to agree with God, but to partner with him in taking steps of freedom. This is me as a cageless bird learning to fly and it might look like falling on the ground, rolling on the ground sometime that Jesus tenderly picks me up when that happens. And often the area you have wrestled with your freedom the most 
will be an area that he's asking you to call others into freedom because that's what he's like. That's how he redeems stuff at every level. It's for your good ultimately, but it's going to be for the good of so many others. I have a calling on my life to live as a free child, shame-free, in the enoughness of God and call others into the enoughness of God, right? You're going to have a similar, another narrative in your life. And I believe that the Spirit is like nudging you about what that is right now. Maybe for you, it's an addictive behaviour or thought pattern. Do you know addiction? Again, let's just bring the floodlight on it and get the shame, kick the shame out of it. You've only done these patterns of addiction to usually numb pain or an unmet need, a deep wound in your life. We've all got addiction. So I just want to just take the stigma out of that. But I just want to say that God wants you to bring that into the light of his presence today and ask what steps of obedience he wants you to take to walk into freedom in that area. And so again, please do come forward for prayer. We want to lay a hand on you. Also, if it is addiction, there are so many great resources and supports we want to point you to alongside prayer. So please do come and chat to us or email pastoral at KXC. We would love to support you on that freedom journey. I love... I love the phrase that um, Joshua Luke Smith used last week. It was awesome. It was, conviction leads to eviction. It's the conviction of the spirit leading to the eviction of thought patterns of these mindsets that do just not belong. So we are set free to start fires of freedom. I mentioned this before. Let's take it back to London. We're on quite a journey. We're coming into land soon. When I think about London, I think about a place that has a really strong current. This has been in my head. If we think about the sea, has anyone ever been in a riptide, like an undercurrent? Has anyone nearly drowned in one before? (laughs) Many times. Growing up in Australia, it's a miracle you don't drown. (laughs) But basically, um, when I got off the plane, I've just been back home over Christmas, seeing my family, came back out into Heathrow, into the tube, and I was like, whoa, it hits you in the face. The current of London is fast, it is strong, it is rapid. It is not all bad. There's some amazing things going on. There's some beautiful things going on here, exciting things. But there is also some heavy things going on and you can feel that strong current. And do you know that if you try to swim against a riptide, you will actually exhaust yourself and get swept out to sea and likely drown? (laughs) nice and hopeful. It's not our job to swim against that tide. I really sense that it is our job to ask Spirit of God, what fires of freedom are you calling me to light in this city? Instead of fighting the tide, we are called to light fires of freedom wherever we are. I know it's like this concept, but I just had this really strong feeling it like there are those in the room that feel like, okay, I've got to just try and stay afloat here and not drown and fight against this current. But he's like, like, no, stop fighting. Look to me, ask what fires, what's in your hands to light a fire right now? Let's look at where has God placed you 
whether you've got a job or not. Where are you spending your time? What is the industry that you are working in? A skill that you have, a people that you have a heart for. Do you know that often it will be the things that bother you most or get you the most angry living in this city, that that's where God's like, yeah, I want to put my fire on that. Will you bring me that agitation that you have? Because that's often his spirit pointing out an area of captivity or of slavery, of things not as they should be, things that are not, it could even just be a neighbour who's really struggling right now. It could be your work colleague who is really depressed and just feeling lost in London. And he who is in us, the one who is in us is so much greater than the one who's in the world. All that we need to do is be available and ask the question, Lord, what's in my hand? What fire of freedom? Who is it? What area is it? It might just be, I want you to start praying. I know it's hard, again, when we see these strong tides of like, how much is my prayer going to, you know, come against this, this injustice, this big issue? He just wants us to look at the one. Sometimes we get so caught up in the big. London is made up of ones. London is made up of just individual people who God wants to set on fire one heart, one life at a time until there is a wildfire. It's his spirit that will do it. Our calling is the same as Jesus when he spoke these words from the prophet Isaiah. They were fulfilled in him. He's imparted it to us. He says this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. Last week when it got a bit wild in the ministry time, actually I think it was in the middle of Josh's sermon, he asked what are the stories or what are the promises that God has put in this land in London? And he just got people to call things out. And uh, someone said, a place of sending missionaries. And I remember, Lydia, you said, a place of beacons of fire. You saw, like, lighting beacons of fire. And then someone else said, it's a place historically of anti-slavery movement. And I just sense that there are more prophetic words, more things that God is stirring in us that he wants to just, I think even just start. We had a wave of like intercession. It might just start with a crying out for God. God, send me. I can't fight this tide, but would you set me on fire to light these fires of freedom? Mm-hmm.